Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Casper J., Uranium Aristocrat, Michael F., at Bad Intel 789, Tim W., and Matt P. On Smith Weekly Discussions today is a new guest. Mr. Govind Friedland is here with us. Govind is executive chairman of GoVX Uranium, an Africa focused uranium project explorer and near term developer advancing the core Matawela uranium project in Niger, amongst other projects in Africa. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol GXU and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol GVXXF. Mr. Friedland, welcome to the show and how's the weather in your part of the world? Andrew, it's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm calling in from, from upstate New York where it's a nice and snowy and winter day. It's great to be here. Excellent, good to have you on finally. Govin, I just want to kick it off here because I think this is important for the thesis behind GoVX and your work in the natural resource sector and you also being the key figure in this company. But talk about your experience in family business and working with Bob Friedland. And what is it like as far as the challenges being in a family business, you know, these types of challenges working with this group and also the advantages that you have uh, with the group that you're with? Yeah, a great question. Well, thank you for asking. Um, yes, it's true. I grew up in the mining business. Uh, I went to the Colorado School of Mines. I've been involved in mineral exploration since I was a little kid. You know, my uncle, my father, all in the business. Uh, I'm very grateful to them for for really teaching me where real things come from. Most people think a ham sandwich comes from the refrigerator. They don't think about the arbitoire and the rivers of blood. Uh, I'm I'm lucky that I've I've been able to travel the world and go and look at where copper comes from and cobalt and nickel and, and you know uranium and all the things that make the world go around. These things are uh, are really important. People, whenever they're eating dinner and they're picking up a silverware, it's important to think where that iron ore and that nickel came from. And that's been one of the benefits of growing up in a in a mining family is that we always talk about where real things come from. And that's a great education to teach your kids. Let me get your views here on the broad markets, Govin, just outside of the natural resource sector for a moment, just the broad markets, what you've seen out there. I know you've certainly paid attention to what's happening in the financial markets around the world. What's your thoughts on the broad markets here and also the impacts coming out of COVID? Mm, well, it's been a tumultuous year. Uh, we're just coming up on the one year since really COVID hit. And we've seen massive disruptions. I mean, there's no, there's no, there's, there's nobody in the world that hasn't been affected by COVID, and 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 we've seen, in, I mean, incredible performance from the tech sector. Um, you know, and and as, as these markets have been disrupted, uh, we've seen, um, you know, in the mineral resource space. Um, many projects be impacted. Um, look at, you know, particularly like uh, 
case of Cameco, Cigar Lake in Kazakhstan, they're having the curtail production because of COVID. And, and so there's been lots of changes and it's, it's been a very dynamic 12 months. And, you know, a lot of people have made a lot of money by investing in the right companies at the right time. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next 12 months will hold. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think and you as well of the opinion that we are in a transition phase and the commodity cycle is, is just getting started here. And we're on the right side of that trade after a number of years of, of not only research in the sector, but also just being in the sector and experiencing what it's like in a bear and what it's like in a bull here. And it's going to be interesting going forward how that rolls over and comes into the natural resource sector, because I think we're in a fantastic setup here. Let's get your views on energy here, Govin. And the popular concept of climate change, or I suppose, is really just a long view of things like climate cycles. But what's your thoughts on energy here and this uh, popular concept of climate change? Well, I've, I've spent my whole career exploring for metals, strategic metals that are critical for combating things like global air pollution. And more re recently with the electric car uptick. And this whole concept of energy transition, which is really coming into focus with the democratic regime and the, and we have our new climate czar with Kerry. I mean, the, the, the big game here, the big goal is the end of, is the end of hydrocarbons. And that's probably a 20 or 30 year process. And as you've seen these, these renewables becoming more economic. And in the last cycle, a lot of people lost a lot of money by investing in solar and wind and, and they got their teeth and lips handed to them because they were, had to be heavily subsidized by governments to incentivize this transition. Nowadays, the, the pricing point has come down, so they're quite competitive. But what we'll see is as the, as the percentage of, of renewables comes on online, there will be significant disruptions to the grid because that, that means that we're reducing baseload power from somewhere else, from some dirty old coal mine. And that's what you're seeing like this last weekend. You see two and a half million people without power in Texas. And we're going to see much more of that unless we're able to make up for the loss of baseload power with something like nuclear that is able to have zero emissions, um, no carbon, no sulfur. You can't. Everyone's talking about carbon reduction and carbon sequestration, but don't forget about sulfur. Sulfur creates acid, acid rain. It's a real nasty, and sulfur dioxide is no joke. And nuclear power is the most reliable, lowest cost source for, for clean power that needs to be part of the energy mix for decades going forward. Bill Gates is behind it. A lot of smart people are, are following this, and and as you as you reduce base load from coal, you're going to need to replace it from somewhere, and that's going to be nuclear power. Yep, absolutely agreed, and uh, we're certainly convinced over here. If this wind and solar effort continues, it'll be uh, one for the history books that was one of the stupidest moments that we've experienced. Uh, well, just one more time here, just talk about your time in the natural resource sector and just how powerful this sector is. Would you really want to be anywhere else other than your primary focus for you, which is Goviex? 
Well, it's a very exciting time. You know, as you as, as we talk about this energy transition, when it's with the when you look at these great companies like Tesla, you know, and they're building these gigafactories. You know, what my father talks about is they're not actually gigafactories; they're gigabuildings because they don't have the supply chain to be able to build the factories. There's just not enough of the metal around. I mean, we in the exploration industry, we're looking left and right. We're asking everybody around us, like, where's this going to come from? So you want to cheat the Arabs of their oil. You're going to have to mine more copper. You're going to have to mine more nickel and cobalt um, and, and vanadium and all these other metals that are strategic for the battery industry. And it's not just electric cars and smartphones. Um, the real holy grail is in is in grid level storage, because what to do when the sun's not shining, or shining too much, or what to do when the wind's not blowing or blowing too much. You need to be able to store that electricity, and so we still have have a long way to go on developing the exon of alternative energy. It just doesn't exist, and so we're just sort of in the very early innings of the story. And what's going to be critical are these metals, that, a whole suite of metals that really need to be mined and refined and, and environmentally uh, in the right way with the right social setting. And finding these metals and getting them to market will be the big challenge for the next generation of geologists. There's been a, an opacity of, of geologists and geological engineers. I mean, when I finished the Colorado School of Mines, there were just two in my whole class that focused on exploration. So, you know, nowadays it's gonna be the Chilenos or the Mongolians or the Congolese that we're really gonna rely on for finding these sources of metals. It's gonna be critically important uh, to achieving an energy transition. Yeah, good points. And, you know, with uranium, you know, we have a pretty good amount of uranium out there for the near term, but the big challenge is, is who has the capability to bring the stuff out of the ground and get it to market. That's the key. And so I think, uh, you know, Goviex is in an interesting position amongst some other companies that are in the development stage to actually get that material to market. And that's the big ticket here is, you know, we can go out and find lots of deposits, but can you get it out of the ground? And that's the question that's going to be answered over the next few years and definitely in this decade. Well, our audience, Govin, is pretty well seasoned in uranium, but what is your position here? at this point in time, given what has transpired in the uranium sector just recently, and based on your fundamental understanding of the inner workings of the sector, what's your thought uh, in 2021 here going forward? Are we really at the cusp of what is now really this uptick in the uranium cycle? Only God knows, uh, and she may change her mind. You know, cons Markets always conspire to fool the most of the people most of the time, by definition. Uh, and so I, I can't, I cannot tell you with any high degree of certainty, is it going to be this year? But what I can tell you is that the fundamentals are really quite apparent. The world is consuming more uranium than is mined. Um, the market's about 180 million pounds, uh, but the world produces about 150. That, that delta is made up from secondary sources. And the global inventory is about half of what it was during the peak of the last cycle when uranium topped $140 a pound. And the big difference now is that many of the environmentalists, all the greenies, are actually backing nuclear power as, as, as the source 
as, as the critical source for baseload, uh, zero emissions, et cetera, as I mentioned. So, so I think the fundamentals are there and it may have been tipped by COVID. COVID could have started a snowball effect that if you're the Kazakhs and you're controlling 40% of the production and you reduce some of your production, you see the price go up. I mean, it's a no-brainer that you, they're almost in like the OPEC position. They can control, they can reduce the supply, increasing the, the price point, keeping, making more money and saving more for future generations. It's just a, it's a no-brainer. Um, and so I think we could still see that. And this might be the year that we've all been waiting for. Now that the U.S. government has had some clarity on the fiscal regime for utility buying, there's nothing to stop the utilities from going back into the market. And, you know, I've, I've always described these utilities like, like a school of fish or a crowd mentality. They're all, you know, the Russians, the French, the U.S., the Chinese. They're not really in competition with each other. They're all friends. And they all hold hands and they all jump into the market together. As soon as one turns right, they all turn right. And so we've seen in the past that when the utilities start buying, uh, they all buy together. And um, that, if that starts happening this year, which is anticipated to, to occur, then we could see a very, very uh, effervescent market. Great points there. And I like the school of fish analogy. I think it's, that's a fantastic way to put it. With the anti-nuclears, you know, there's not a lot left. Uh, and the ones that I keep track on, not a lot of people respond anymore to them. And so it's really interesting, just over the few years, uh, really going back to 2016, roughly, I guess it's now good grief, you know, five years. But going back to that time frame, the amount that the sentiment has changed since 2016 till today, Govind, is just incredible in favor of nuclear. Kind of a slow boat to China, so to speak, but at the same time, amazing to see the change and you know we're definitely headed in the right direction here because there's just not a lot left that are not on the boat well let's get into niger here govind a tough jurisdiction not that uh, tough jurisdictions or anything that sway uh, the friedland group or yourself you know it does require a bit of grease and and certainly some good strategy to succeed in but cover maybe the key points for the audience of really working in niger and the importance of having the government on your side yeah, I have to say it's not been tough at all. I mean, on balance, it's a great place to work. Uh, you have to look to where mining has succeeded and from an environmental perspective. You need to look at places like the Altacama Desert. Uh, you like look to like the Australian Outback, or the Mongolian Steppe, or the Gobi Desert, places that look like Mars. Uh, that's ideal for mining. You don't want to have to be burdened by population and a lot of green vegetation with heavy rainfall. That's bad for trying to guarantee the integrity of the tailings dam. So you want it to be very dry um, and with no people. And, and, that's, and that's really what we have in Niger. It's a very, it's a, it's a country that has 60% of its, uh, up to 60% of its export revenues from uranium sales. It's very, there's no other country like it in the world. I, I describe Niger as like a, there's two things with, there's two things that Niger cannot survive without. One is foreign aid, and one is uranium sales. And, and, and they have more than the 60 years of, uran of, of uranium exports. And it's, they're very comfortable with it. They understand the risks, they understand how to mitigate the risks, and, and they're very comfortable working in that commodity. So for me, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to work with, a, with, with our team in Niger. And I'm very proud 
the fact that we are now a 100% Nigerian team. All of our senior, it's not just in Niger, it's in, it's in Zambia and then in Mali. Everywhere we operate in Africa, we have a 100% local local policy of having only locals working in the company. We just can't. Uh, the time of having expats there is just long past. We need to be we need to be a real local company, so that our our managers look across the table and they see the mines minister where their kids go to the same school and they grew up together. It's a totally different mentality than parachuting a, a lawyer in from Toronto or New York to go and sit with the government. It's a it, it's just there's there's a perception that the evil foreigners are coming to steal their buried treasure, which is just not the case. And needs to be managed in a very responsible and sensitive way by locals because that's their legacy. It's their country and we're guests in their country and we need to behave like that. And so for me, it's been a, it's been a great experience. We've had, we've had no major problems. I mean, there's always problems in the mining industry. I can, you know, it's not easy. Um, but but we've overcome these challenges, and it's mostly just a matter of logistics and getting the right team in place and and being and, and the rent right mentality, so that whenever a problem comes around, you just walk around it. Yeah, definitely, your appetite there is is strong and good, and of course, uh, the Ivanhoe Group in general, you know, strong appetite with places like DRC and, and operational abilities there as well, and your guys' ability to to handle the issues, so to speak. And I want to ask just a few more questions on this subject. Now, as you know, Orano has been reasonably successful in country for a long time, uh, in part due to support from the government and, of course, security from the French military. How will Goviex replicate this success as development and production unfolds? Niger has exported about 220,000 tons, or about 260 million pounds, uh, since about 1970. Uh, there's been about 10 changes of government. Uh, the uranium exports have never skipped a beat. Like a Swiss watch, they continue to export. Uh, so we are following a well-trodden path. Uh, all of the material comes in and out of the deep water port in Benin. We're benefiting from more than 60 years of infrastructure. Uh, we have roads, power lines. Power lines come right across our, our ground. Uh, the uranium highways, where all of Orano's material has been exported, that comes right across our license area. Uh, we're benefiting from about 200,000 people that live and work there up around Arlet and Akokan, this uranium-producing region in northern Niger. And that's and that's benefiting us. That will benefit us um, because uh, we're also um, we can you know as they are winding down some of their production, the government needs to keep these people employed, and that's that we're very fortunate. And that right when we're winding up, or when we're starting constructions, gearing up uh, to 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 build this project, um, we've got uh, lots of people available, skilled workers right there locally to do the job. Yeah, and Govin, you've got some competition as well, and I want to talk about that here a little bit later, but, you know, Common Act, Somer, you know, these projects are done, more or less, pretty much a done deal here. And so you have some good operational talent that you pointed out that's coming off. 
what are your guys' plans, if you can share those, for stripping off some of this key talent for operations over at Goviax? Oh, we get dozens of applications a week. We get, I mean, in our unsolicited, we have a huge database of quite skilled workers that send us their, their CVs daily. Uh, and uh, we're in a very good position to be able to go through. We, we don't need to work with any headhunter. We have no shortage of applications already. It's looking good. Good talent's always in short supply, at least uh, in the Western world. We can certainly say that um, as the days wear on here. But uh, let's talk just briefly on CSR, or now I guess everybody calls it ESG. Do you see that really the best operators in this business Govind have always performed these efforts before the fancy titles? Yeah, as I said, we're guests in their country, and so we need to behave like that. And when I first went to Niger, I went with our former Prime Minister, Jean Chrétien, and with his support and encouragement, we're, we, we went there in a time when there had been a, a devastating flood. Schools were destroyed, and they needed water and blankets, and we brought that. We were able to bring about $6 million of, of aid uh, both through our uh, through our our shareholder support and also through Canadian aid that Craytan was able to to help with, and so we've been there in the past. We've also helped by doing things like with a local drilling company. Maybe they couldn't afford to have new equipment, so we would buy the equipment and then we would hand it over to them, and then they would they would operate the equipment, but give us a a deduction in our per meter drilling rate such that when we had completed the drilling program, uh, they've effectively earned this equipment in which they now continue to operate. So we have, you know, Gorgaram is a local is a local village near where we operate. Uh, we've, we've taken after that that village and helped helped um, to drill water wells and 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 support the schools. And we also the empowerment of women is really important to us. There are matriarchal society, uh, the, the, the Tureg and the Tureg women are very, very powerful, powerful force uh, where we operate. So, you know, we, we continue to encourage the empowerment of women. We have a, and, and encourage a, our workforce to be uh, as diverse as possible. That's very important um, that, that the company continue to have a diverse, not just employees, but also, I mean, across the whole company. Uh, so diversity is is as important as ever, and so in our own way, we work to uh, bring these principles um, from the top to the bottom and from the bottom all the way up to the top, because that's what's sustainable in this day and age. Yeah, that's good. And the uh, ESG efforts, or as I like to call it, the EESG, which emphasis on economics first and foremost, is really important. And you guys, you know, doing those efforts in the community, I think everybody can agree, whether you have religious differences or whatever it might be, that uh, these types of community improvement projects, uh, everybody's got to be able to get on board with that. And if they can't, you know, they might need to have their head examined. But definitely, I think that that's a good way to go here with what you guys are doing in advance to development of the project. Talk also just about the importance of the operational and capital expertise that comes with the Ivanhoe Group and how important that really is for success of Goviex and really the certainties surrounding the ability to finance, construct, and also operate due to that really back office expertise. Yes, yeah, so well, we benefit from a 
sort of like one small division in a, in a much larger uh, group of, of companies, a family of companies. And at any given moment, uh, we can pick up the phone and, and call someone that may be you know, very um, experienced in underground mining equipment or in World Bank finance or some kind of specialty geophysics technology that we have a proprietary in-house. I'm referring to like induced polarization and eye pulse technology, which is being used uh, throughout Africa, all over the world, in fact. So yes, we do benefit. We don't have to keep all of these people on our payroll, but at any moment we can call up and, and get a, 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 we can get experts in all the different parts of, of mineral exploration and mineral exploration finance. That has been a, that's, it's been a great help. It's true. Um, we have, we have people also in, in almost every time zone. So in Asia, um, in Africa, in Europe, and in, in the Americas. And so at almost 24 hours a day, you could pick up the phone and call one of our offices and get some help if there's, some, if there's, if there's a problem or when you seek some kind of solution. That's a big benefit being within the Ivanhoe Group. Well, let's uh, skip the capital structure here, mostly go then as you know, the audience can look that stuff up. It's not too hard to come across here, but maybe just touch on this here. Will you and key shareholders be notably participating in the future capital raises at the company and also the construction financing package? I've participated in, in many, most of the, of the equity raises uh, in, in recent years. Once we get up to the project finance, that will probably be a mix, a mix of of debt and equity. Now we're we're looking to we're, we're looking at this right now. Probably we'll be going the export credit route, uh, since we're in Niger, which is a very poor country. Uh, they qualify for export credit, and that's probably the way that we will go. Um, I, as executive chairman, I tend to to lead these financing efforts, and I have since the company was formed, and I have no intention of stopping. So I plan to be there at every step of the way. Uh, it's been a, you know, I want to see this project get built. I'm very passionate about it. And, um, and I'd like to see this, you know, I'd like to see, I'd like to see us do this with, with the people of Niger and, and with our shareholders. Uh, they've been very supportive in these years. So it's very exciting. Very looking forward to the rest of this year. And Govin, will Optake be a part of this package, um, most likely a utility given the project size and requirements? Will Optake be part of that? And also, what point in the market will you be looking for for you and Dan to really pull the trigger on finance and construction? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yes, of course, Optake is a critical part of it. We need to have a, typically these are, are, are these contracts are signed with a, a, like a floor and a ceiling. And, and we, we need to have a floor that's above our incentive price. Uh, we're not too far away from that right now. Uh, once, once that's there, uh, we have had some preliminary discussions with the off-takers, basically all of them. And, um, and yes, we would, we, before, we, before we would draw down on any credit facility and, and, and complete the, the project finance, all, th all, all three things need to be in parallel. One, we need to have com completed the offtake agreement. We would have to, to pen the, the, the debt facility and have signed the, the project finance, the equity portion of project finance all at the same time. And we just need the commodity price to perform a little bit more 
and uh, and we sh- will be in a position to do that. And that may happen this year. And Govin, the recent capital raise uh, that included MM Asset Management, can you just talk about their importance for backing GoVX at this stage? I don't really want to talk too much about uh, individual shareholders. I, I can just tell you that, that they're relatively new uh, and that they've been very supportive. They've, they've supported us in, in our last two financings. And I'm very grateful for their contribution and for con- continued support. But they, they, they tend to be quite ahead of the curve. And um, well, we hope that, that many other investors will take note of that and see this is a, this is a very good time to start uh, paying attention to the story because it's just starting to unfold. Yeah, and the audience can also check out, you know, there's lots of information out there on some of these other, you know, shareholders in GoVX, including Denison and Cameco and some others. So encourage the audience to, to look at some of that. I want to just move on here to the issue of the PFS update and then also your guys' anticipated immediate work on the definitive feasibility study as well, Govin. This PFS update has been promised for some time now. What is the status and do you guys also expect to have a definitive study completed, say, within the next year or so? That's my intention. That's our plan. I'm not really in a position to to comment on the on the PFS status. I can just tell you that it's that it's at the board level right now. It's it's under it's under final review. Uh, we hope to be able to make an announcement in the very near term, and it's looking quite good. What has come out of it that's very interesting is that what will be needed to move from a PFS to a to a to a definitive feasibility study is very little, um, and that's what we're looking to highlight. It's really will just be some some optimization in the process mill, but um, there's been some very significant simplifications to the operations, and we'll be announcing that very soon. And with that, too, with your guys' level of confidence with the upcoming PFS update, do you really see that the definitive study, while could be quite quickly following that, uh, will also be market sensitive in terms of you guys may not put that out until the timing and the uranium price is about right? Yeah, you. I mean, we don't want to do subsequent DFs, you know, definitive feasibility studies. We'll we'll finalize that because every time you go out and do it, you need to requote everything. You need to quote labor and fuel and, and exchange rates and like all of, all of the vendors need to requote. It's a big exercise to go and requote every single portion, transportation costs and sulfuric acid and you know all the inputs and outputs need to be requoted. So if the market performs, we will be in a position to as well. And so um, we have to plan for success. And if the market performs this year, uh, as as we hope, then 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 we'll be then we'll be ready to meet its needs. But as strategically, we as a company and as a board have been positioning GoVX to respond to the market when the market finally turns. We we've been putting the company in pole position so that we can build this project. Uh, and be ahead of the pack when the market finally turns. That's really been our our main strategy. And Govin, assuming that performance, is the plan to have construction financing done sometime next year, 2022, with a construction start maybe sometime in late 2022 to stay on track for potential 2024 production plans? That sounds about right. 
everything goes well and according to plan, that's the type of timeline we could be looking at. Excellent. And the recent focus on the Fowley uranium project with uh, further review of the precious metal occurrences within that deposit, Govin, why the focus on this in 2020? Um, you know, what is the plan with the project going forward? Will it remain in the GovX pipeline? Will it be monetized? What's your thoughts on that little bit of focus there during 2020? Yes, well, it's a very, very exciting project. It's got, it's very unique. It's got, it's got base metals and precious metals. It's got silver, some very high-grade silver, uranium, copper, gold. Uh, anytime you have base metals and precious metals and gold, to me, that screams IOCG, Olympic Dam type. Look, you know, it's known as a as an unconformity style deposit, but that's just a label that geologists put on something when they don't when they don't really understand it. It's very unique. Uh, I describe it as very sexy deposit, uh, but we need to really do more work to understand it. It's been in the caboose, like in the last place in our pipeline of projects with Mataweila first, Batunga and in Zambia second, and Falia and Mali third. But that actually may prove to be the most exciting thing and the most valuable thing in the company. Um, and we've had many groups come and knocking on our door to joint venture, but we just don't want to give the cookies and ice cream away too cheaply. Uh, we also don't want to confuse our investors. You know, we are at risk of becoming a, a screen door and mango company. I mean, people come and buy Goviex because they want exposure into into uranium in Africa, not necessarily for, for the precious metal or gold, but we are in the business of creating value. So to try to balance that, we are doing a little bit of work in Mali. We've got drill rigs mobilized, and we should be able to announce the results of our drilling here pretty soon. It's a very exciting time for me as an exploration geologist to get back to my roots and start drilling there to test the, the gold potential. And uh, with any luck, I mean, we have a plan and what to do with that. And, but, and the, the plan could be to, to spin it out in its own vehicle into a, a, an own gold entity. So if you want to invest in gold, you could just invest in that particular project. And if you want to just stay in pure play in uranium, we, we keep it, you know, we keep it there. But we're looking, we're exploring various options to daylight value from that project. And we've done some ge very interesting geophysics. It's a, it's a complicated, but very, very attractive project where we have two producing gold uh, trends that intersect right underneath at the base of the Falia outcrop. And so, you know, we, we, we've never really drilled down and, and test the, the Brimian down there. And so that, that remains something that's very near to my heart. I'm looking forward to to getting some drill rigs there and testing the depth and uh, seeing what we find because it's certainly very, very attractive. Yeah, that's well said. And certainly the unconformity point you made there is also interesting. Maybe the potential of the project also yet to be fully delineated. That's also an interesting card on the table as well. So I appreciate you clarifying that for the audience and the uranium focus is yeah. first and foremost. Govin, some of the audience has questioned the promotional efforts of GovX, which in my view isn't much of anything, but, and also with the, the PFS update uh, delay, any comments on this? Um, and is the budget line item for promotion, if any, uh, of any significance to you at all? 
No, we don't have a budget or line item specifically for promotion. Uh, we've had executive travel, and we always attend the the main mining conferences, the BMO Mining Conference in Miami, PDAC, which is right after that. We go to Indaba in Africa, the main mining conference in Indaba. But with COVID, all of these have been converted to to online. And with the power of Zoom, you don't need to burn all that hydrocarbon flying in jets to go to a roadshow like you used to do. You know, we're we're owners. We want to be very good managers of our shareholders' capital. We don't spend a lot of money promoting other than just to our shareholders and to our to our stakeholders in Niger. We have a we need to communicate what we're doing. Um, but we don't we don't really have a specific light item for promotion, no. This is part of the GNA. We know that there's some costs out there, but you know, look Dan and I have discussed this, and so everybody here understands this listening. First, this is really meaningless in the context of Goviax. For example, before COVID, the cost to go to PDAC or any of these industry conferences uh, has quite a price tag to them. Some of these online outlets can also be expensive, but the point here, and in the recent interview that Dan did that was in question with this audience question here, was three figures, and that means less than $1,000 here. And I can tell you that there's another prominent media outlet that nearly everyone watches, and I won't name it here, but it has been free for GoVX after multiple interviews. It's been continually free. These efforts by GoVX has been nothing in terms of promotion as compared to many of the peer companies out there and other companies in this sector. So to me, it's, it's really meaningless. It's not even close. And on top of that, I'll take this opportunity here to be clear with our audience. GoVX is a portfolio company, and there hasn't been anything paid to Smith Weekly, not even a penny, ever in the past to be on our program, including this chat with Govin that we have. And then last, if the audience wants an exact figure for total expenses used on promotion, you know, contact the CFO, Ms. Wang. You know, Govin here is serving as executive chair. He has bigger problems. So, and again, I just have to say one more time, Govin came on the show impromptu. He doesn't even know the questions we're asking him in the first place. So to ask him a, a fine line item like this is just, in my view, ridiculous. And I have to just tell the audience to keep it in context here. The promotion in this sector has not even started. So let's wait for the cycle to play out. Go then, unless you have any other comments on that, I want to move on. The Mutanga project, um, I really want to bring this up because I think it's an underappreciated asset with a very good potential. And first, I want to point out that it's in Zambia. Uh, thanks to the past efforts of John Borjoff, this country and this project is substantially de-risked for becoming a potential uranium producer country from a regulatory standpoint, given the yellow cake was transported from the Kilakira Malawi project through Zambia on its way to Walvis Bay in Namibia for export. Govin, how important is this project for the Goviax pipeline? Well, it's important. Uh, it's important. As I said, once we get close to production, it's very important to be geographically diversified. In the event that you have a problem in one country, you can always switch to the other. That's really important, even if it's just from an optics perspective. Um, but yes, we're, we're following on, on the pioneering work of Borshaw and others. But Zambia does have some byproduct uh, uranium from its gold production. And the government wants this project to go forward. It's a very low-risk sandbox mining. It's open pit, um, very, very low strip, a very simple flow sheet. Uh, we have our permit already, mining permits, and it's already there. 
very close behind Matuela in number two position, but it could it could very well it's looking better and better. And we we're planning on a, a pretty major major percentage of our of our budget for this year will will we'll go towards doing some work there. We're just waiting for a few things to be uh, buttoned up and we'll be we'll be ready to start doing a lot of work down there this this year. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this looks good and this is a nice little setup here. Even well, it's great in the pipeline, but just the the positioning of this project and the really the fact that it's not too terribly far away from Walvis Bay is uh, just an interesting setup. It's very low capex when compared to to Monterey. It's about half the capex. It's very very interesting and it's very very attractive from a from a financial perspective. We just need to, to do a bit more work on on the case and and we'll be able to hopefully up update the market with the status later this year. I want to move on to a different topic here for just a moment. What are your thoughts on Yellow Cake PLC not exercising their Kazataprom supply option at the end of 2020? What do you think that says, or maybe it says nothing? I don't really feel comfortable commenting on somebody else's business. Uh, I know that the folks over at, at Yellow Cake are very, very smart and intelligent people. I'm sure they had their reasons, but I don't really feel comfortable to comment on somebody else's um, operations. Yeah, understood. And I think just because of the uh, the supply crunch out there, I, there may have been a just a simple request from Kazataprom. Maybe you don't exercise that option because we have uh, some of our own internal supply problems. And I think that also uh, is a fair point to bring up as to why maybe they didn't do that. But uh, we'll leave it to the audience to speculate on. Sorry, folks, we don't have a lot of time here, so we apologize if we didn't get to all of the questions. So then when I look out and I look at uranium in Africa, and I see really the two places presently that are capable with some future potential in other countries, but Namibia and Niger really are the two key countries in Africa. The rest have some challenges and, and are certainly questionable at some point. But uh, when we look at Niger, we really only have two viable options. We have Global Atomic and we have GoVX. Why should investors care more about one over the other? Well, it doesn't have to be us versus them. I mean, we're, we're, our, our interests are intrinsically aligned. Um, you know, we, we, we welcome more players in the region. Uh, you know, the more the merrier. You know, we're, we're, we're very close with them. We've, we've known of each other for a very long time. They've got a very exciting project. We've been operating for much longer than they have been in the country, and we've invested more than $150 million so far. And we've drilled our deposits down to, in some cases, 12 and a half meter centers, you know, for for a probable reserve, uh, which is required with this style of mineralization. So just for them to do the same type of work that we have done to the same caliber, they're going to need to spend. Uh, nine figures or more. Um, that's a significant amount of money to spend. But I'm sure, I'm sure, good projects attract financing, and it's a very interesting project that they have. So I'm sure that they'll get there. But like I said, more the merrier. We we have strength in numbers, and we want to have a very good neighbor policy. If they ever want to borrow some eggs or some milk, they should feel free to knock on our door, and vice versa. We want to be good neighbors. And um, and we welcome them to our neighborhood. Yeah, that sounds great. I appreciate you talking about that and addressing that. Um, Govin, talk about exit strategy. 
tell the audience how the GoVX story proceeds and ends. Mm, well, it's probably with the sovereign. When I first went to Niger, I was living in China and, and I knew that the Chinese government, the first time they ever went outside of China, they went to Niger to buy two uranium mines. And this is, these types of assets are really um, strategic for sovereigns to be able to put their foot on a, on a strategic source of, of, of metal. Uh, and it could be, you know, it could be, um, could be the U.S., it could be Canada, it could be, could be France, it could be China, um, or, so, or, a, or a Middle Eastern country that's, that has, a, a new, that has nuclear ambitions. And I think all these countries would be welcomed by the Niger government. Um, when I first went to Niger, I promised to bring, to bring industry leaders to their country for the first time. Uh, that's why we succeeded in bringing Cameco there. We succeeded in bringing Denison there and Toshiba Corporation, Japanese, uh, Ivanhoe, uh, and others, uh, major financial institutions, uh, Fidelity, Goldman Sachs, uh, have been in our share registry. And so we're very proud to have attracted uh, this caliber of investor, both strategic. But I, I see the the exit strategy being really um, probably tied to a sovereign. But, you know, I always say that we will build this project or somebody will have to pay us not to. But it's my it's my goal. It's my ambition. I've been I've been doing this for more than a decade, and we'd like to see this project being built. We, and we hope that our time has finally come. I like that. And Golden, wrapping up here for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening to our discussion today, market cap stands around 168 million Canadian here. What would you say to potential investors at this stage and at current price levels for GoVX? Well, it's still very early days. Um, I think um, our future is ahead of us. It's a very exciting time. The, the market fundamentals are there, and we've seen, you know, we've seen the world wake up to the fact that that nuclear energy is it needs to be part of the of the energy mix. It's the best contributor to baseload power. Certainly, the cleanest, most reliable, and most cost-effective contributor to baseload power. Uh, GoVX is is well positioned to be a producer in this next cycle, and it's still very early days. The last cycle peaked at about $140 a pound, and we're just now just under $30 a pound. So it's still very early days. Um, but on a price, on a proven pounds in the ground, we're very, very attractive to our, to our peers, and we welcome any kind, of, any kind of support that the market can have. My email address is govind, G-O-V-I-N-D, at ivancorp.net. I'm happy to hear from, from your followers and, and from your listeners. If there's any kind of questions that I may be able to answer or steer them in the right direction, please send me a note and I'll, I promise to respond. Govin, that's great. And you just solved my next question, which was how to reach out to the company. But uh, Govin, you know, we really just appreciate you taking the time with us here and we hope you stay well out there and continue the path forward on GoVX. Thank you for your time and, and thank you for the call. It's much appreciated. Happy to get our, our story out there. Thank you, Andrew.